It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. When I asked Attica Scott how many protests she'd been to over the death of Breonna Taylor, she told me she'd been to so many, she couldn't even begin to count. We're past 150 days, and I was out on the second day of protests and have you know, been out two or three times a week since, so I, I couldn't calculate. So have you been out, like, in the last week? Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I, as recently as uh, Saturday. Attica often takes her teenage daughter along with her when she marches. She says almost every protest in Louisville starts from the same corner, a park across from the city jail and the courthouse. It's become known as Injustice Square. It is formerly known as Jefferson Square Park. And its history is that it was the site of slave auctions. And so it's really um, powerful that a place that was the site of slave auctions has now been occupied by Black people seeking justice. When Attica marches, she uses her cell phone as a kind of tool. She'll often stream herself on Instagram Live. She wants to show that the protests in Louisville are peaceful. But she's also trying to keep herself safe. All right, y'all. We um, had to park, and now we're walking. Um, Last month, after the state attorney general announced he would not be bringing homicide charges against the officers involved in Breonna Taylor's death. Attica was out on the streets again, cell phone rolling. So we're about to cross Broadway. Just want y'all to know, because it's important that we have witnesses. While she walks, she's constantly broadcasting her location. It's like a homing beacon for her followers, just in case. Walking past the public library, these people are... These police are ridiculous. Yeah. There was a curfew in effect that night. Attica was recording as she tried to get to a church. She knew it let her inside. But when she arrived, she realized the church was surrounded by police. Sit down! Sit down! Y'all, they want, they want to kill us. Don't reach, They want to, they want to kill us. 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 I want y'all to know they want to kill us. We're 4th in York. They want to kill us. We're 4th in York. She kept recording as protesters were arrested, one by one. We were trying to go inside, so they're setting us up. And then an officer approached Attica. Turn it off, put it in your pocket, okay? All right, y'all. Right before the video cuts off, there's this moment that it feels menacing from your perspective. The officer is approaching you and is saying, are you recording on your phone? He says, I want you to put your phone in your pocket because I want to do this like the nice way. Did it, <laughs> did it come across as menacing to you? Well, and he also said, I don't want your phone to get broken. So why would it get broken? But what's the, what's the message there? 
Um, so that was very interesting to me. I think even for a minute, it, it took me a little bit longer than I may have normally taken me to put my phone away because I was just, I paused for a minute. Like, why would my, probably thinking to myself, why would my phone get broken? Is that a threat? This is when the officer arrests her. Watching that Instagram video of the night you were arrested, there's one thing I don't hear you do, which is you don't you don't identify yourself in a big way. Police officers approach you, but you don't ever say to them, "Listen, I'm a state representative." I never or hardly ever that I can recall identify myself because I think it's highly inappropriate for me to try to set myself apart from the very people that I'm marching elbow to elbow with, that I come from this community and we should all be treated with dignity and respect regardless of our positions and titles. So I rarely ever identify myself and that night was no different. Do you think things would have gone differently if you had said to the police officers there, listen, I'm a political figure. I represent these folks. I think they already knew who I was. They have been following the live streamers. They've been following many of the the people that I was arrested with. They, in fact, have said on multiple occasions to them, we watched uh, your live streams. So I feel like it was political retaliation when they arrested us. So I don't know that it would have made a bit of a difference if I had identified myself. Maybe if I were one of my white colleagues who's a state representative, it might have been different. Today on the show, Attica Scott is the only Black woman in the Kentucky State Legislature. It turns out that doesn't make fighting for justice for Breonna Taylor much easier. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Is it true that you're named after the prison riot, Attica? I'm named after the prison in upstate New York, yes. I was born a, a few months after the uprising in The uprising was September 1971. I was born January 1972. Why was that important to your parents, do you think? I mean, really, for my parents, it was their Breonna Taylor. It was their Michael Brown. It was their Trayvon Martin. It was their uprising for human rights and social justice, particularly for them as young people. My mom was a a teen mom and my dad was in his early 20s. Hmm. It sounds to me like 
from the very beginning, your life was kind of political. And then when I look at your rise as a politician, it seems to me like you really studied to do this role. And I'm wondering what you learned along the way to get where you are now as a state representative. One of the the first and always in the forefront for me, the guiding principles that I learned is to always center Blackness and to always center racial justice because that's not going to happen with my colleagues. And I'm going to most likely be in an environment where as a Black woman, I'm the minority of the minority. And so to always center Blackness, to always center racial justice, to not be ashamed to do so, to not hesitate to do so, and to bring my community and, and folks that I care about and love along with me because we're often left out of political decision-making. I read that you were originally assigned a seat in the state house, right behind a representative who is a known white supremacist. It sounds like from your first day, you were getting these lessons. I mean, every, I've been there for four years now, and every year there's something uh, directed at me that makes it clear that I'm I'm being targeted as the only Black woman in the state legislature. And that very first day in office, there are 100 members of the House. I'm the only Black woman, and I was seated behind someone who ran using images of the Obamas as apes. And I immediately went to the leadership in my political party and said, I I will not stand for this. This is ridiculous. It's unacceptable. The one Black woman on this House floor out of 100 seats, this is where the leadership decided to seat me. And it was clear to me that that decision was made out of racial animus. Representative Scott gave it a few weeks, but when nothing happened, she forced the issue. I went to my leadership and I said, I'm not sitting down in that seat until it's changed. And the next day it was changed because one of my colleagues volunteered to give up her seat. Hmm. But one of your colleagues had to volunteer. Exactly. Exactly. Another woman volunteered to give up her seat and sit behind him because she completely understood that that should never have been the case for me. I hear that story and I just think about how fragile the progress is. Like, (laughs) it wasn't obvious that you would be moved. Right. Yes. There, there. There have been many times where, since I've been there, we've been told that something related to race, the predominantly white legislature didn't notice, which says something right there. But but yes, the fact that it didn't happen immediately, that leadership didn't uh, say, you know, what, she should not be in that seat or he should not be in his seat tomorrow. That needs to change immediately. The fact that that didn't happen just says a lot. The fact that people across Kentucky had to see that, it just says a lot about how far we have not come and how much work we have to continue to do to address race in our commonwealth. Do you remember when you first heard Breonna Taylor's story and what you thought? Actually, first, I didn't know her name, but I was in Frankfurt, our state capitol, during the legislative session and remember hearing that she was murdered the the morning of Friday, uh, March 13th. And I remember hearing something just briefly on the news, and then I don't, I didn't hear anything else again. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, you know, my folks back home, they're on it when it comes to gun violence, period, and in particular, police violence. So I didn't hear her name again until May. And I remember that first night of protest, Thursday, May 28th, and the immediate narrative was one of violent protesters rather than violent police who haven't been held accountable. 
And I, I remember my daughter and I went out that next day, that Friday, May 29th, because I know as an activist and organizer, that narrative was not true. And from that point on, Friday, May 29th on, I've been deeply engaged in fighting for justice for Breonna Taylor. Did you feel like your colleagues back in the state house had an accurate idea of what was happening in Louisville? I don't think anyone did it initially because the, the narrative was, as it often is, being pushed from the police perspective, from the perspective of the mayor who was colluding with police to cover up her murder. So I don't think in the, the first few days that anyone really knew what was happening, even people in Louisville who weren't coming downtown to see for themselves. So I, so my part of my, my job, not only as, as a, a mom of Black children who ate for Tamika Palmer, Brianna's mom, but also as a responsible legislator, I knew that I had to help educate my colleagues about what was actually happening. You're saying the mayor colluded with the police to cover things up. That's a pretty big allegation. And the mayor of Louisville, he's a Democrat, right? He sure is. But as a Black woman, I've been clear for most of my, if not all of my adult life, that uh, Democrats have failed Black people too. And in this case, the mayor of Louisville has completely and utterly failed us in seeking justice for Breonna Taylor, has failed in the very beginning when he had a chance to really do do the right thing early on, to fire the officers who uh, murdered her, to have them arrested and charged with her murder. He failed to do so. And every step along the way, he has pushed the police narrative. Even when I was arrested that next morning, he had the nerve to call me and say that he had heard some things concerning my arrest. He wanted to hear my story. I shared my story. And within an hour, he was uh, with the police, the acting interim police chief, doubling down on the police's narrative that we were trying to firebomb the library in my district. That would piss me off, too. <laughs> <laughs> I am, and, and I'm, I am, and I'm disgusted. And my my daughter, who's a teenager, went on her Twitter and tagged him and called him out and said, "I'm beyond hurt because I've been to your home. I have eaten at your table. I've had conversations with your wife, and you are actually saying that I and my mom tried to burn down a library." She was so hurt. Was there even evidence for that? Well, there was video footage of someone who appeared to be a, a man dressed in all black, so you really couldn't uh, see the person's face breaking a window at the library, which wasn't broken when we walked past it, um, and people can see that clearly on the Instagram Live, and there was a, a flare that had been thrown through the window that immediately fizzled out. So even the library union put out a statement saying Representative Scott would never, and we would, we could never imagine her doing this, and we don't even believe it. How dare you charge her with these crimes? And they said for people to, to calm down, because besides the broken window, which can be replaced, there was no damage to not one book in the library because that flare just completely fizzled out as soon as it hit the ground. God, I mean, I'm just trying to think of the position you're in. You're part of the Democratic Party. You have someone within your party, a leader in your community, seeming to take sides against you. It just must put you on the defensive. I'm on the defensive all the time in this, it, it, this whole um, movement uh, has been traumatic on so many different levels. Just 
almost every week hearing something new about this case that makes it even more painful um, on how Brianna was treated and adds to the emotional and mental strife. And then on top of that, the violence we've experienced from police who are militarized and using all their militarized weapons against us. I am disgusted, I'm angry, I'm pissed off. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We should remind people exactly where the investigation into Breonna Taylor's death stands. Daniel Cameron, the attorney general of Kentucky, was put in charge of investigating what happened. And he made this statement that a grand jury decided to disregard homicide charges and instead charge one officer with wanton endangerment. Then a grand jury member came forward and said that's not so. Can you just tell me a little bit about your sort of journey over the last month with Cameron and with hearing where this case stood? Yes. So when uh, the attorney general decided to announce that there would be no justice for Brianna Taylor. I certainly understand the pain um, that has been uh, brought about by the tragic loss of Ms. Taylor. I understand that. As a attorney general who is responsible for all uh, 120 counties in terms of being the chief law, legal officer, the chief uh, law enforcement officer, I understand that. I understand that as a black man, how painful this is. That statement from the attorney general added to yet another reminder of us of how all of these systems have colluded to not have justice for, for Brianna. And they constantly lie, lie and lie over and over again. And yet we as protesters are the ones who have far too often been demonized. I'm very clear to this day that it is because of this sustained movement that what we are seeing come out now is happening, that grand jurors speaking out is happening because of this movement. Um, that you know, body cam footage months later when we were lied to and told there was no footage has come out. So as, as protesters, we remain firm in our resolve uh, to get justice for Breonna Taylor. We're clear that our protest also includes policy advocacy, and that's why we're working on Breonna's Law for Kentucky. And we're also clear that it, include, it includes political activism, and we've got folks who are ready to run for office in 2022 who, before this movement, hadn't thought about serving in local, state, or federal office. 
Hmm. Fifteen hours of recordings were released from the grand jury. What stood out from what you have heard? What I will say stood out for me is that when the jurors were told that there was no time to actually hear uh, all of uh, the evidence that was available or should have been made available to them, that a woman who potentially was a Black woman, we're, we're not yet sure, but potentially was a Black woman, said, we have time. And that just touched my heart because in that moment, I thought she used her agency as a grand juror to say, we have time. We came here to take the time to get justice. So that's what what stood out for me. It stood out to me, too. That was like the one moment where I was like, huh. And also just because I didn't know the grand jury could kind of speak back to the prosecutors the way they occasionally did. I didn't know it either because I this this entire uh, movement has taught me so much. And I, I also appreciate the fact that there were grand jurors who, even if they didn't know whether or not they could question, they they did it anyway, you know? So I appreciate them for that. I believe we all have a responsibility at every level to question, to challenge, and and to not be afraid to do so. Have you ever interacted with the state AG, Daniel Cameron? Because I imagine it is a small political world in Kentucky. I have not. Um, I have actually not interacted with him at all. I wonder how quickly his involvement in the investigation into Breonna Taylor's death began to concern you. Oh, immediately. As soon as he appointed himself as the the special prosecutor, I, I, I knew we were in trouble. Someone who is in Mitch McConnell's back pocket is not going to serve justice in a situation like this. Why do you say that? Why do you say he's in Mitch McConnell's back pocket? Because he was Mitch McConnell's candidate. He was appointed by Mitch McConnell to run for the seat, fully supported by McConnell throughout his campaign. You know, McConnell was uh, one of his special guests to his wedding this summer. So he has shown nothing but allegiance to McConnell. Hmm. He definitely, Daniel Cameron, that is, seems to be embracing the sort of law and order idea that the Republican Party has started talking a lot about this summer. When he was announcing what was happening with the charges in the Breonna Taylor case, he he said this thing that a lot of people commented on afterwards. It stuck with people. It stuck with me, too. He said, justice is not often easy, does not fit the mold of public opinion. It does not conform to shifting standards. It answers only to the facts and to the law. If we simply act on emotion or outrage, there is no justice. Mob justice is not justice. Justice sought by violence is not justice. It just becomes revenge. I I wonder when you heard him saying that, what went through your mind? My immediate thought was that Uh, He is obviously paying his communications person quite well to come up with language that uplifts his decision not to serve justice to Breonna Taylor or her family or her community, and at the same time, continue this demonization of people who are protesting, to relegate us only to emotion and to compare us to uh, mob mentality. And 
to talk about facts when in fact he and his team did not give the truth and all of the options to the grand jury as it should have. You know, I, I heard that statement and realized that we who are on the streets do not have at our fingertips the um, ability to pay people well, to spin words in a way that, that sound great, but actually mean little to nothing. We have ourselves, we have our movement, and we are hoping and praying that that is enough for people uh, to understand why we remain in the streets. Hmm. Does the law in Kentucky allow the officers here to be charged with homicide? Because I remember reading an article early on in the Breonna Taylor story where a number of defense attorneys in Louisville were sort of shrugging their shoulders and saying, well, I think the only charge that could be brought here really is wanton endangerment. And that's, of course, exactly what happened. But I I wonder if you see this differently. And that's a good question. I would have to ask, you know, people like Sam Aguiar, the family's attorney, because I'm not sure that that he would agree with that statement. Got it. Got it. So in the state legislature, you've proposed something you're calling Brianna's Law that would prevent no-knock warrants like the one that led to her death statewide, among other things. It was notable to me that that only 11 other legislators have signed on to Brianna's Law. Why do you think that is? Oh my goodness, that is, that's notable to me as well and to so many people. <laughs> we are perplexed because we have 100 members of the House, 38, because I, you know, I can really only speak to my political party. I don't know how the party that is not mine operates, That's because I'm not a part of it, but 38 members of the House are Democrats, and yet we only have 11 legislative co-sponsors. And across the country, there have been Republicans who have said no-knock warrants should not exist. They are unsafe for law enforcement. They are unsafe for the people um, whose doors are being kicked in and so or rammed in. And so the fact that we also don't have Republicans who've signed on says something about One, I think it's important to note that in the four years I've been in Frankfurt, I've never had one of my bills heard even in committee for discussion only. But two, that for the past two years, not one member of the Legislative Black Caucus has had their bill heard in committee. So there's also this racial uh, aspect of the issue, why I think some of my Republican colleagues have not signed on. This is about race. This is about people who don't feel comfortable having these conversations. Whenever we bring up issues of race related to a bill on the House floor, we would be immediately met with anger from white men for the most part. But then they could stand on the House floor and talk about hateful resolutions related to immigrants and and calling them drug dealers and rapists. And that was okay. They always had the chance to speak that hatred. There are elections going on in Kentucky right now. And I wonder if you see seeds of something shifting in the political landscape. I see it shifting from the people's perspective that folks who've been organizing for justice have been holding so many of these candidates' speech to the fire 
regardless of their political party. They have not allowed anyone to run and feel like, well, just because I'm a Democrat and you don't have any other choice that you have to support me. No, they've been uh, saying to them, looking them in the eye and asking, what is your racial justice agenda? How are you centering Black lives? How are you supporting the movement for justice for Breonna Taylor? Part of it is that you have so many young people who are in leadership who aren't caught up into this narrative that all blew everything. They don't believe that. What they're clear about is that Black lives matter. And if Democrats aren't going to center Black lives, then they don't deserve to be in office either. And what I know for sure is that um, very few people are going to be able to win between now and November 3rd who have not shown that they are committed to the movement for Black lives. Hmm. I wonder what you think are the things that are stifling change, because you're talking about the people sort of going to folks running for office and asking what their positions are. But you're not talking about the party itself responding in any kind of way. Well, and and that's part of the the weakness and failure of the party. And folks are calling that out. And are not supporting the party as an institution. And I think that's something that's that's missing in so many of these political conversations. And that's why they're saying in 2022, we're coming for all of your seats, school board, metro council, mayor, state seats. We're coming for all of your seats because you failed us. Sounds like you're going to be the one mentoring some new candidates soon. Well, you know, I'm already working with folks. Um, some are calling me their their mentor, which is fine. And others, I'm simply walking alongside elbow to elbow and, you know, sharing my experience. And I'm glad to do so because some of these folks do have to go. Do you think justice for Breonna Taylor is still possible? I know that justice for Breonna Taylor is possible and it's going to happen because of this movement. It's not going to happen because suddenly some politician wakes up and says it's time to do the right thing. It's not going to happen because uh, law enforcement holds themselves accountable. It's going to happen because the people push for it and they push onward and they continue to resist and to continue to show up. I just don't know what that justice is going to look like. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like, what could it look like at this point? What shape could it take? Well, I was on the phone this morning with... um, the attorney for Brianna Taylor's family, and, and he was on his way to file the paperwork um, to request a new special prosecutor. That's a first step. That's concrete. That's key. Representative Scott, I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you so much, Mary. I appreciate you. Attica Scott is a Kentucky state representative. She lives in Louisville. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Elena Schwartz, and Daniel Hewitt. We get an extra boost every day from Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. We will all catch you back here tomorrow. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.